you better vote for who you want to be the mayor now. It, literally, you're looking at people who could you could probably get in a runoff with this crowded field. Uh, you could probably get in the runoff with less than 20% of the vote. Really, when we look at it, you got to get people from just general observers to fans to super fans. The super fan in politics always early votes. So Stephen. back to the bravest. Yeah, right. So, well, <laughs> I don't say that. He but. was a super fan. I don't think there's a job in this city that prepares you to be the mayor necessarily. There's holes in anyone's resume. I mean, you're coming in, if you're coming in from the state legislature, you're also a, a legislator instead of an executive. Sure. And it's a, a different, you know, government with different rules and different challenges. So I think, I think that could apply to anyone, not just the, the Metro Council members. Sure. Worst job in town. The mayor. You think so? Worst job in town. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall. I'm Jamie Holland. With us in studio today for our 2023 mayoral megacast preview prediction edition, Jeff Carr, of course. Uh, I'll let you give everybody your titles, former mayoral candidate yourself, but if you want to go ahead and give everybody your 46 titles, please do. <laughs> 46 titles all distilled down to a couple. I am an interfaith leader of the Infinity Fellowship and the Infinity Center. Uh, and in between that, because it's uh, an interesting vocation and calling, I do political consulting, infrastructure consulting for nonprofits, and just go out there in the world and live my best life. So I'm happy to be here with you guys. Living a good life is good. It's a good way to be, especially these this, in these, these crazy times we live in. Stephen Elliott from the Nashville post and the Nashville scene. Uh, I'm just going to call you political guru extraordinaire. Is that good? Okay. That's a new one, but yeah, I'll go with it. All Have right. you moved to Stephen number one, Mr. Interim Editor? Uh, there's still a couple other Stevens in the building, but... Are the, you most senior? Uh, actually, I believe Stephen Trageser, the music editor of the Nashville scene, has been there longer, though I think we arrived around the same time. Okay. You're, you're, you're power ranking the Stevens inside the post in the scene to get this thing started. Okay. Used to call him number four. <laughs> <laughs> you're number one in my heart, Steven. So thank you guys both for being here, Jeff and Steven. Please rate, review, subscribe, share the show. We do appreciate it. And uh, of course, tell somebody about it. That's, that's all we ask is just tell one person about it. Okay. So a lot of stuff to get to on the show today. Obviously, our last episode before Thursday, August 3rd, as we enter a huge election for the city and districts in the mayoral office, vice mayor. Uh, obviously, there's other things on the ballot as well. I, I hesitate to tell you that we will give you predictions on what we think will happen on Thursday, uh, but we'll do that later on in the show. Uh, we'll get to endorsements, the value of them. Do they matter at all? Early voting numbers. What exactly are those numbers telling us about what could happen on August 3rd? And of course, the state of the electorate, the state of the campaigns. We've got some fundraising stuff as well. But I'm going to get started with a personal a personal story, and, and we'll see where this conversation goes. And that is, I have been fortunate enough through this show to be able to sit down for almost five hours and ask my own personal questions and have my own personal conversations with five of the seven candidates running for mayor. And I get asked by people who are far smarter than me about this stuff, who am I voting for because of those conversations? And I have no clue 
who I would vote for if I had to go do it today. And I am curious what that tells us about the entire process. And Jeff, I'll start with you. Uh, well, you know, you're you're in a great position because you had a one on one. Um, honestly, in full disclosure, I got a lot of calls from a lot of candidates early on in this process because of the work that I do in community, some of the work that I've done when I've allowed myself to dip into the space of politics. Uh, and I declined every offer because I said I can't make hide or hair of anything. And right now focuses on the family and community. And just the political space right now is difficult for everyone. So I found myself squarely in that column of undecideds. When you look at the undecideds here, whatever poll you go to, whether it's 53%, whether it's 23%, there are a ton of people out here in the world who just don't know still who to vote for with election day looming. Uh, I don't know. When people have sent me a text, I'm still in a space of not knowing exactly who the best candidate will be. But I will say this. This weekend, I was in uh, Pensacola last week. I was in Pensacola. My son wanted to go out on the ocean on one of those uh, wave runner things. Kind of reminds you of a motorcycle and my motorcycle days. So I was on that thing, and we were hitting those waves, and we were in control, and I was really mindful that you're I was— You are just thinking about Heidi Campbell Yeah, I, that's all there. I was thinking okay. about. Of course, you know, you're a mind reader. But I'm thinking there about how that drive feels. You know, you're pulling down on the throttle. You really got the, the horsepower between your legs, and you're driving that. Coming back home, I was driving the minivan. And as I was driving the minivan, I recognized that I really wasn't driving. I was steering. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about the mayoral election with all of these candidates, the question comes down to, are we looking for a driver or are we looking for somebody who can just steer the machine? Most of the undecideds will tell you that they don't feel there's a candidate in this race that is a driver that's really going to drive people forward. That's why we have low turnout. That's why we have people who are not inspiring people to get out there beyond their own echo chambers. What we're looking for now is a case of who you think can best steer the ship for the short term. And that's not a great political decision to have to make, but I think we're at the point now at the crossroads where people are saying, out of this massive group, who do we think can at least steer the ship until we can get to a space where we have a true driver in a race? Yeah, I I voted early. Uh, a what? Week. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I voted Only early. one in the room that voted early. You know, I think one thing I, I really love about my job is that I have the chance to talk to all these people and in my case, over the course of several years, many of them. So you get a, a sense of who they are and, and, and what they stand for and how they operate. And, uh, you know, for me, I think I was able to vote early because, one, I don't like lingering on uh, decisions. I just like to get it over with, which bit me in the ass. I, uh, I, I said on Twitter, uh, uh, someone that I, I voted for uh, annoyed me a couple days later um might have might have flipped that one but it, at the end of the day you know uh it's okay the mayor's race you know i, I made a choice and i'll get another choice in six weeks or so so I, you know <laughs> i figured if i made the wrong i figured if i made the wrong one now early i could make another one next time around well get it the person that got your vote for mayor there's exceedingly motivated right now <laughs> how great they must feel having learned that sure yeah well, well i take so again i don't i don't i'm not going to ask anybody here who they're going to actually vote for that's not what we're going to do on the show we're not endorsing candidates or, or whatever but steven through the process of getting to because like what i found through our process of getting to know them was just like there's not a lot of difference between a lot of them 
And so how is that personal? Not everybody has the access that you have, of course. Uh, what were the factors, let's say? Because like you could argue if you're going on ideology, it could be one candidate. If you're going on strategy, it could be another candidate. If you're going on who do you think, to your point, Jeff, who could steer the ship best, that might be a different candidate. Sure. Like those could be the actual differences here. You know, I think that's a good point. There are a lot of similarities between some of the top candidates. If my process, honestly, is more focused on the council races, which I think is probably a little different than um, a lot of voters out there. Um, the council races can be very low information. I think the mayoral race, honestly, is pretty low information for a lot of voters, too, but um, even more so at the council level. So I interviewed most of the at-large candidates uh, for a long time, 40 minutes or so for each. And that's really, once I, once I talked to all of them, I kind of figured out who, who I thought would do a good job. And uh, once I came to that decision, I, I was ready to vote. It was more about that race than uh, the mayoral race for me. Okay. 21 of them, right? That's right. I got to 14, I think. That's, that's like two full days of interviews. Yeah, and I transcribed them, and, oh, I, pre- <laughs> and I prepared for them, and oh, wow. I, uh, you know, put them on the website. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> go, go read them, is what it sounds like. Yeah. They're all on a convenient homepage at NashvilleScene.com. There's a little uh, button that says Elections at the top right, and there you, you can click there, and you'll find them all. Or Nashville Post, but I think it's, you know. Jamie, why are people, we talked about this on a previous episode, the, the common assumption for early voters, and I'm not, I'm not lumping you in, Stephen, in this, but the, but the common assumption is that if you are on either end of the spectrum pretty solidly, that would be a reason to early vote. Why else are we, we're at about, we're going to be at about 50,000 early votes total. That's about half the electorate. Uh, it's ramped up at the end, but why, why, why are people, what are people voting on if they're voting early? And frankly, what can people learn over a, a four-day window where there's no early voting that could actually change somebody's opinion. We'll get to the fundraising here because there's still a lot of money left in these campaigns to dump into the last few days. Well, I'm just glad the election commission is not spending money in litigation that allows us to have more open early voting sites than normal across town. So just the one downtown, it's embarrassing. And I have no idea considering the amount the limited amount of information that somebody could say, yep, I know that's who I'm voting for. They were locked in early, knew who they wanted, and went. Normally people go vote early because they want to stop getting mail, stop getting people knocking on doors, get off the robocall list, get off the text message list. A sophisticated campaign, once you early vote, they're taking you off of their list every single night to get you off to save money. Long and short of it is, I don't know, other than saying, like, man, they're crazy. How could you vote right now? With the exception of Stephen, of course. But what are you going to learn, though? What is it in a, in a two or three or five day window? That so let's I want to let's get into the low information part of this because somebody's waiting on somebody to come to their door. That's all it is. Are you going to knock on my door and talk to me? And normally, a lot of people, especially high information voters, they kind of want to see the candidate. They, they want to interact with them on an interpersonal level. And I'm just not, you know, that's not conducive or capable of happening in a mayor's race. You know, you got one candidate out there running some 24-hour <laughs> parade. 
You so, know, it's not a bad stunt. You know, the hi- the hive said, "Oh my God, what a gimmick!" Well, no shit. Everything everything's a gimmick. Everything Every in a campaign is a gimmick. In a campaign is a gimmick. And the gimmick that works is the one that wins. Yeah. How, how, how many how many uh, voters was he interacting with at three this morning? You know, I have no idea. That was last week, Stephen. But it was something. Well, there's also Not the internet, nothing. so it stays alive. It's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's you're somewhere the key. telling yeah. people you're every single hour you can benchmark where you are, so that that's going to be accessible. And you're not going to necessarily interact with them there, but who's really in the digital age interacting with a lot of people on a regular basis outside of large public events? Well, and we've had a gazillion forums. We've had oh, interviews man. here, Stephen. You've done interviews. I think you've we've learned that, the, that many forums that'll never happen again. There's probably going to be a committee set up to establish. A limited amount of forums because it was a waste of time for everybody and i think it participated in the low information because mayors candidates were going to all these forums preparing for these forums i don't know if you gave them questions in advance but some some do and you know 30 second responses well all that did was make that organization feel good oh we got these candidates here it didn't help inform the electorate at all except yours steve <laughs> i appreciate that i think uh some of the yeah, I went to several of them and we hosted our own. And I think some of the ones that were hyper-focused on one issue were interesting. You heard some new stuff. There was one about uh, issues in the disability community that touched on questions I hadn't heard them talk about at all. So that was enlightening to me. So, well, and I guess that's my question. What do we need to do differently if there's too many forums and we're still low information? You got two, uh, Freddie and, and Matt Wilcher have been campaigning for over a year. You have two state senators who have name ID because of their jobs in the state. Like, what what is it else that we could have done? Like, Stephen, you just said you did 14, 40-minute interviews with at-large candidates. That's a lot of information for people. Isn't that the electorate's fault at that point? Well, I don't really really expect most voters to read those uh, or all of them or, you know, sit down. They're three, four thousand words long, each of them. So it's it's hard for me to expect even my close friends who are interested in this race to read all of them and and come to a conclusion. I think you have to have various ways to filter that information, which I think is what the goal of some of these forums was, was get like-minded people together that are interested in a certain issue or topic. And if you're super interested in transit, if you're super interested in, you know, disability issues or, or whatever some of the other forums were, you can get a better sense of if the candidates are on your side of the fence or not. I think we're all too distracted. Okay. On social media, whatever whatever the latest ha- outrage machine is producing, you know, some. You don't want to talk about Jason Aldean again? Bro country <laughs> anthem, what the fuck ever. <laughs> Who cares? You know, the hive goes and swarms over there. Well, hey, what are y'all talking about the mayor's race again? You know, well, they got to be 100% pure or we're not going to vote for them. Then you've got council members writing blog posts, dragging candidates based on their interview on this show. And it's like, why appreciate, you, appreciate why, the link, by the way, on that. Yeah. Why are you dragging him? Well, you've got council members coming on this show and dragging <laughs> candidates, too. <laughs> well, no, dragging incumbents who are helping other candidates. But that 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 is true. Uh, Jeff, you were talking about um, the gimmick. Not part. by name. Yeah. Hit dog barks, Stephen. <laughs> That you were talking about the gimmicky part of this, and sure. you, you, of course, ran in one of these, and I was looking at some of your answers getting ready to, to talk with you, and one of the questions was, I can't, I'm paraphrasing here, but oh, go ahead. One, one of the questions that was asked of you is like, well, how can we rebuild trust in institutions? 
or something like that. And, I, and this was like 2018. And I'm like, glad to see that a lot has changed because one of the things that we've talked a lot about on the show with all of the candidates is trust in the council, trust with, between the electorate, trust between the city and the state. There's like all these different things. And while we have tons of interviews and tons of long form stuff for people to go consume if they want to, as someone who's done this, it, the thing that still lands is the gimmicky social tweet that has this funny video or this viral this or and you can't manufacture virality i know there's a million marketing no, companies that yeah. are trying to but it hasn't changed all that much between 2018 and now even though the tech landscape is a little different yeah and again you have i used to train community organizers and one of the things that we taught people was that people get activated based on self-interest that's that's it. Period. Point blank. You can go into a neighborhood and say we want to attack crime and you're not going to be successful at getting people to show up to a community meeting because crime is always going to be here and it's always going to loom. It's so big that people don't think that they can break it apart. What you have to do is say, hey, how many people got their uh, cars broken into this week? And they say, oh, I got my car broken into. Well, let's find out where that's coming from. Well, there's a house on the corner there at 10th and Jefferson, wherever it may be. And we're going to shut that house down where all the illegal activity is going. You spend a couple of weeks out there doing that and you see the crime decrease on that particular block. Then people say, oh, my gosh, I'm all in. Then the next block says, how could you do that? Help, let, me, let me do the same thing. And so sooner or later, you grow this locus of focus out where people, all who have a self-interest, come together and they start to grow. People have to see themselves in these elections. When we talk about the, the hive, when Jamie mentions the hive, we talk about getting into early voting. Traditionally, aside from Stephen, of course, the early voter is the person who has decided who they love, who they like, who they who they vibe around. And they are going you're going to see that it's going to come out in what they say. It's going to come out with what they tweet. It's going to come out no matter how many times they try to hide it in, in what they write. It's going to be evident. And so what do we do with the rest of the people out here who are waiting to hear something that connects to their self-interest from the from the black community? We look and we say, OK, at this point. There is an old adage that when election time comes, we see people coming to the community. But really what's what people are struggling with from from my community is we haven't seen most of these candidates in our community until now. So now we have to look at what have they actually accomplished that can relate to our self-interest. If not. We're going to see the same old thing all over again. People showing up at church on Sunday, people showing up at the barbecue festival or hosting something at Bordeaux Library. And then we're not going to see anybody again yeah. for four years. Yeah. So that that creates uh, fatigue with voters. So I think people are looking for somebody who can at least say, we're going to listen. We're going to help you with your issues that are important to you. And we're going to stand for you based on what we've done in the past, not not what's coming out of our mouths right now. There are a lot of great candidates who are saying great things, who are doing really cute stuff online. But the reality is there are some very specific data points that we have to look at in this election to say, where where is where where are people going to gain traction? If we look at 1960, since 1960, since consolidation of Metro government, roughly 100,000 people have voted in every election since then, and 70 plus percent of them are 50 and up. And that's just been a demographic. So those are the people who are showing up. Outside of a steering uh, person who could steer the city, we all hope for a person who could drive because drivers ignite young voters. We, we see in the data that we're not seeing that. We're not seeing young people. I think young people are at, last time I checked it, like 3% or less 
of the people who have turned out. So that means there's no excitement coming out of this election. I think that when we get down to it, uh, it's going to come down to a scenario where one candidate is going to be just ahead of everybody else and end up possibly in a runoff election. That will be exciting to that candidate's fan base. But yeah. the reality is you could get into an election with eight out of 10 people in the city not wanting you to be the mayor, yeah. but feeling at that point they have no other choice. Yeah. Do, do you show up when you're not running a campaign? Right. Like, I mean, that's that's not a national problem. That's and that's a national. Problem. That's everywhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the early voting about 70 percent is 50 plus. I, it feels like the conviction, though, on for I guess. Can I throw out Freddie O'Connell and Alice Rowley and just say the, the, those two? I'm going to say hives on both sides are are pretty committed to those two candidates. Oh, yeah. They're yeah, already especially online. So the so early vote, you guys would assume are going those two directions, which is why we're seeing polling that are telling us that those two are at least collecting votes at this point during early voting. Is that is that a fair assumption? I, I think it's safe to say that that Alice Rowley will get a, a high floor of the vote, uh, no matter what, just because she's the one, you know, significant out Republican in the race. So there's, you know, 20 percent or so in the last few elections, the re main Republican candidate has gotten. So, yes, I think it's safe to say that that she'll have a high floor. Uh, by the way, you mentioned 100,000 votes. Uh, there are 414,000 active registered voters in Davidson County, which means 300,000 of you are not participating. Just want to. Does this go point, out to all point of that them? out? Not you, though, aside from Stephen, which is the new title aside, of the episode, aside, aside from, from Stephen. That's <laughs> a great I, title. I just like and those of you listening to the show are probably very informed and very active and very interested in the community. So I'm not. But and I don't think shaming people into voting is probably the right strategy, but it is very disappointing to see two, three quarters of our our electorate just not participate. It's very frustrating to me. But, you know, having been in those political spaces and having helped run a couple of couple of campaigns and being successful in those, whatever those campaigns were, uh, individuals or or even referendum campaigns and talking to people there's an old african proverb that i always keep in the forefront of my mind and it's he who cannot dance will say the drum is bad so a lot of times when we look at these numbers and we say <laughs> three hundred thousand people are not voting we turn to shame in the voters the reality is when you're in a position of leadership uh, you you can draw people out. There are people who you want to have somebody to vote for. So it's difficult to blame the voters when we don't have people who are stepping forward, who are able to inspire people in uh, mass, per se, and make people want to come to the polls. Now people have, have become apathetic because they feel as if they have no one they can vote for. And I know that's going to hit differently depending on uh, which candidate people out there who listen to the podcast are before, because everybody, again, sure. is in a space of belief. And belief is what exists in the absence of provable facts. So when people say, well, I don't care. I believe my guy is the guy to lead us to the promised land, or my lady is the lady to lead us to the promised land. Outside of those people, uh, it the numbers don't lie. Most people are just worn out, they're apathetic, and they are not putting hope and trust in politics, which is also dangerous because that's where the decisions are made that affect our everyday lives. And as a group, the candidates are boring. Oh, yeah, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> and, and I wouldn't be negative and say I don't see that as negative. I just see that as factual. There's, there's nothing inspirational coming out of this um, this particular election it's and that's why people have complained about the number of forums if there were one or two candidates 
that you just love to listen to or you love to tune into. There were people who would just show up just to hear those people speak. But when they read about a foreman, people go, oh, not another one. It means so if all these, all these candidates really care about the city and they're not performing in a way that gives them a remote chance to be competitive to make the runoff, what role did they really play in the campaign? <laughs> I, I think there's a role for, for candidates to drive conversations in different ways to different topics. All right. You got an example? I mean, I think we can talk to Jeff about his experience. What, what was that like for you? You know, what, how did you change the, the discussion during that race? Well, it, it was interesting because I was looking forward to changing the discussion when that special election happened uh, with about four months to, to go and fundraising coming out strong in the beginning and then looking up and having a court case happened with our good friend brother Ludie Wallace and uh, that got cut to 19 days <laughs> and so it of course benefited the power structure I'll shout out to my friend Jamie but it benefited the the infrastructure the power structure in Nashville and made it so that those who were money interest could easily have a path but I think it began to change the conversation we didn't have enough time 19 days you can't really change a political conversation when you need to reach large numbers of people but I think that in this case now, you have a, a diverse set of people there. You've got people who've been running for a year. Uh, you've got people who are established politicians in the city. You've got people who have run departments. You could, you could weigh people's qualifications, but I do think that people in Nashville, when we look at all the data, it backs this up, people in Nashville are not content with the direction of the city and what has become a political oligarchy, even with the council. There are people who feel as if the council no longer listens to the people. They only listen to their donors. Uh, as evidenced by this recent stadium vote, I thought it was really, really tough on the, popul on the population to have to sit through uh, watching uh, their hearts being poured out for hours upon hours upon hours and to have council people pretend that they were listening to them only to wait until the public hearing's over and vote the way they were gonna vote anyway. I think you, you continue to create spaces like that, then people develop a distaste for politics. So because I don't know how some it's of the, shake Some out. of the people cry, crying foul on that, the things they were crying foul about is actively going on right now around a soccer stadium. Oh, well, yeah. That's a whole new episode, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to cross pollinate here, but that them's the facts. There, yeah. there also could have been a uh, they had time for another proposal, but that's not just the council's fault either. So, but course, I'm going to yeah. quibble with you. Quibble with you. Uh, it wasn't a court case. It was section 1901 of the charter. I of didn't. Course. I didn't write it. The Department of Law grossly misinterpreted when an election is held for its most important officer. And the Supreme Court agreed. And the Supreme Court agreed. And our Supreme Court in our nation is agreeing on a number of things right now. So it all is about interpretation in the end. And, and it comes down to there's a lot of interpretation uh, legally that could go one way or the other. But again, when we talk about issues like that, uh, we also have to talk about how do people feel as if they've been heard? And do they feel as if they've been heard or not? One of the challenges that I think, to loop this back to this mayoral race, one of the challenges is answering the question, 
does councilmanic uh, experience translate into the ability to run a city? Uh, we've seen that the last few mayors have come out of the council, starting with Megan Barry, who was the first council person to actually sit in the seat. What has happened with Megan Barry? What has happened with David Browley? What has happened with John Cooper? What has happened with who may be next? Councilmanic skills and legislative skills do not always translate into leadership skills. And we've we've had we're in a situation where we've had, I'll defer to Stephen, what, four we'll be having four or five mayors within like a six year span? Something like that, right? Right. So well, the people that are well, twenty seventeen. Right. Right. Yeah. So the conclusion of that is if there's people pissed off at how Metro works, they're disassociated from it. Maybe we don't pick mayors from the council. Maybe we don't. It Maybe. is. And, and from a leadership perspective, from an organizational perspective, I pity any council person who might emerge as mayor. I, I pity them because it's a difficult challenge to go from sitting next to somebody in a chamber to them being in a position of leadership. Because that can create, I don't care if it's even in the business. I mean, Stephen, you've run from, you've come from Stephen number four to Stephen number one, apparently, <laughs> in, the, in the organization, right? But it, you may face some challenges from people who said, hey, Stephen was sitting in the desk in the cubicle next to me. He's not going to tell me what to do. I, I could be sitting in that space, too. Now, that big, can we get the interim tagger move? But Stephen, I, I like to say that every job's interim at the end of the day. That's time right. time That's comes good. for us all. Stephen, number one, Stephen, number two, healthy rivalry between the political and the music department in the building there. Just uh, it's a friendship. There's there, not much a lot of animosity, not, not much rivalry. <laughs> uh, I, I will respond to you, Jeff. I think some of the things you're bringing up also would apply to anyone running for the job. I don't think there's a job in the city that prepares you to be the mayor necessarily. Um, there's holes in anyone's resume. I mean, you're coming in, if, if you're coming in from the state legislature, you're also a, a legislator instead of an executive. Sure. And it's a, a different, you know, government with different rules and different challenges. So I think, I think that could apply to anyone, not just the, the Metro Council members. Sure. Worst job in town. The you, mayor. You think so? Worst yeah. job in town. Well, but it's that, gotta be. Yeah. But that's one of our very first episodes. I asked you, why do we have 47,000 candidates running for office? And you said, no one wants the job. And, yeah. and it's, but now it's everybody wants the job, but it's, they, they see paths. Uh, do we think, be, again, going back to early voting and sort of people that are convicted enough, except for you, Stephen, that are going to vote on August 3rd, does that, is it safe to assume that that vote is going to break for, I don't know how to say, I don't want to say centrist candidates here because that's a national term, but like they're, they're all kind of the same at this point. But is that a, this is bordering on predictive and I hate that part of this, but are those votes going to break for Wiltshire, Yarborough, Campbell it, on day of is that, or is it, or is with all the fun, we can get into the fundraising here with money left on hand that people are going to start pouring into TV ads over the course of the last week. What happens on day of, how do those voters break? Cause that's half the vote basically. I don't think I have a good answer for you. I don't know. I think, you know, you can look at all these data points we have about who's spending money on TV, who's knocking doors, uh, who has the biggest staff out in the field. And those things probably are playing a role, but I, I don't think it's possible to say right now how that's going to break unless Jamie or, or Jeff, you, you have a different I mean, interpretation. I'll jump in. Yeah. It, it's breaking like 2015 broke. And you had Bill Freeman, Megan Barry, David Fox. And as we get towards election day, the far left was breaking for Megan. The far right was breaking for David Fox. 
the county was shrinking for Bill Freeman. And instead of going a Republican voting for someone they might be able to tolerate more, a.k.a. Bill Freeman. Ele- electability almost. They, right? they went with the true believer, David Fox. And so putting David Fox in the runoff automatically elected his opponent. Didn't matter who right. it was. In this case, it was Megan Barry. As soon as that runoff was set, it was over. Despite what anybody might think about Davidson County, we're not going to elect a Republican as mayor. No. It's not going to happen. The best, their ceiling is the runoff. And then, they're, then they're, whoever it is, they're going to get smoked in the runoff. Going back to 25th, you have to, that's the race that Howard Gentry got in at the last minute, right? Correct. So Howard Gentry took enough of that black vote away from, from many political pundits who say for Bill Freeman, had Howard Free, had he not been in that race, then you would have probably been looking at Bill Freeman versus David Fox. And, of course and there's a saying, theory that a certain organization got Mr. Gentry to run for the purposes of keeping Bill Freeman from the mayor's office. Because that entity, it's eroded a lot since 2015, but back then, its peak, it couldn't elect a mayor, but it could keep someone from being mayor. I, I think a lot of the people that, that the people in this room talk to think that way about candidates. I think a, a, there are a huge number of voters who are not that predictable. There are Republicans in the city who would vote for the most liberal person in the race, I think there are Republicans that are going to vote for Freddie O'Connell. I don't think think you just named him the most liberal in the race. (laughs) Heidi Campbell would like a word. No, I think (laughs) I don't think at the metro level it's it's quite as predictable. You'll ask someone why they're supporting someone or why they voted for someone and their answer will sound, you know, silly sometimes. It's like you said, it's because they knocked on my door. It has sometimes can have little to do with what they stand for. So I don't think it's quite as simple as where the votes are breaking on a, a sort of national political left to right spectrum. Well, I say all that to say, if you're a, you need to start running up the score in the precincts where you're strong. If you're just trying to add one voter over here in Hermitage or Bellevue or Jolton, it's really not a good use of your time. You need to run the score up in the boxes where you're strong. So those people that are out there, heard this a lot oh i voted for such and such just so i could get credit for it but i'm really for bill no you better vote for who you want to be the mayor now especially with this field it, literally you're looking at people who could you could probably get in a runoff with this crowded field uh you could probably get in the runoff with less than 20 percent of the vote and that's that's just mm-hmm. realistic and really when we look at it we look at the sales funnel in marketing. You got to get people from just general observers to fans to super fans, and that's where you super fans are going to bring people with them. The super fan in politics always early votes, and so the the, the camps super fans have already shown up. So Stephen. back to the bravest, yeah, right. So well, <laughs> I don't want to say that he but, was a super fan. <laughs> super fan. No, but that's, sometimes uh, but, you just get it out of the way. But you super fans get there first; they go there. So when it comes to election day. When the people who, whether they are still uh, behind a candidate or have decided on a candidate or they are in the category of, I'm just going to hold my nose and pull a lever, then we're talking about this race, then they, they probably will break toward a Wilshire. Well, and I think that's to your point, Stephen, like 
if it's all it, it's it's just one big giant equation that works together because if we have low information but all i really need is a touch point right with a candidate but i'm not ideologically firm enough in what i think to go to either one of the two candidates early voting enough i'm just trying to figure out then what that equation what's on the other side of the equal sign at the end of that equation if it's just because we if you've got three days left or two days left or five days left you can only knock on so many doors you do have money so i guess you could put it into tv ads is, is that does that count as a touch point for someone who's hasn't decided yet on who they're going to vote for and then they see the one ad and all of a sudden oh now i'm voting for so and so like it does I, I, the calculus is very odd to me in that situation. Yeah, uh, I think there are some people who go to vote out of uh, civic duty, not knowing, really, not having strong opinions about who they're going to vote for. They get in there, they see someone's name, and they remember, oh, yeah, I just saw that ad. He, lo he looked nice. Uh, he had his kids with him. He was at a school. He was at a school. It, the sun was shining. Um, and, yeah, that name sounds familiar. So I, I think elections can be very irrational and you talked about the 2015 race the the vote was very close in the first round it, it, you could have flipped a coin and and the runoff could have been to you know a different makeup so you know part of my job is narratives i guess um and that's what we're here to talk about but i think we can uh, get lost in those sometimes when a lot of times it can be it can be more useful to flip a coin doesn't it well, also rain that day election day in 2015 it rained that afternoon. Do, does an endorsement count as that? That is it. That oh, I, I happen to see on Twitter that so and so and so who I've heard of Jim Cooper. Let's say hypothetically, I, oh that person endorsed so and so. Is that in the same ballpark as what you're talking about? Um, I, I'm sure there's voters out there who are waiting on Jim Cooper's seal of approval. I don't know how many there are. I think the impact it could have is you you look at. Jeff Yarbrough, maybe you're one of these undecided, 20 plus percent uh, undecided, 25 percent undecided. And, you know, you, th you think three or four of these people are pretty similar. You're not you don't really have strong feelings about them. But you're, you remember Jim Cooper being in Congress for 40 years, positively or negatively. Uh, if it's positive, maybe you think, OK, well, this guy's legitimate. I didn't know if he had a chance, but if Jim Cooper's endorsing him, maybe he has a chance. So I guess that's a seal of approval in some ways. But it, I don't know that it's like. I'm going to vote for whoever Jim Cooper tells me to vote for. Well, is Taylor Swift count as legitimate? I think I think that that's the, the one endorsement in the city that could actually move votes. The Swifties definitely, and definitely Swift endorsements matter to who endorsements matter to. I mean, that's yeah, where yeah, when people seek that. They say, "Oh, that's my guy. I'm going to do that." And literally, there are tons of informed voters who are just pouring through and hitting the rewind button on this podcast and they're sharing it and they're liking it and they're saying, Damn right. right, there's always, I'm serious. This, and I'm speaking this good into your world because I think it's necessary <laughs> for us to have um, more independent voices in the city. Uh, when I was coming on the scene 30 years ago, we had so much diversity in thought that you could have, you could see the polarization, but it wasn't always negative. You could always go where you needed to go in Nashville, see different people and have really good dialogue, but you had diversity, especially in media. You could walk into the office with an appointment and, or not sometimes and see and sit down and talk to John Sigenthaler. Uh, you could see and go to the banners offices. Uh, at the time, the scene was, was really, truly a fully independent, unconnected, disconnected, really almost underground revolutionary kind of voice in the black community alone. You had a third eye that I published for 11 years. A couple of years later, you had the Tennessee Tribune at the same time. 
You had Sam Ladd's Communique. You had the Metropolitan Times. You had Contemporary Magazine. You had all of these voices that were really good and strong in politics. That's kind of gone away with consolidation of much media. So people aren't necessarily trusting what they see, but then there are people who do vote based on what they perceive around them. There's an old adage that yard signs don't vote. You know, a ton of people have yard signs, but then there's a sweet spot where if you don't put out yard signs, people say, oh, they're not a serious candidate. And there are people who vote who see you on TV. And if they don't see you on TV, oh, they're not concerned with reaching me. There are people who say, I can spend all day and knock on 100 doors where I can reach 200,000 people with a media buy and put my name in their space. So I think this is so close in this election to call really because you got at least four or five candidates who are really running in the same circles all the time, who would consider themselves progressive, leaning, far to the left. So what do you do when you have a number of people in the room who know each other, who are in the same circles running, and only a few people who can vote to elect them, and they have to choose one of the people in their circles? That's why we're seeing uh, people conflicted because they like the politics of everybody running. Now it's a question of which one do I bank on getting to lead the city? Endorsements alone are meaningless. However, if certain people make the endorsement, I'm going to use the sheriff as an example, Darren Hall. If he gives out his database of voters, yard sign locations, email addresses, willing to record a call to go to them that's more than an endorsement it's infrastructure and you know congress like congressman former congressman yeah, jim point. cooper yeah. has that and you know the hive started talking about well oh well jason powell's endorsement of matt wilshire that's equal to or greater than whatever well i love jason powell endorsement of freddie yeah endorsement of freddie but like hey that's a smaller area and did he just say, yeah, I'm for you, or did he, he's willing to provide his infrastructure too? And I think the most significant, or, or at least more significant, is Darren Hall and Jim Cooper. And are they doing that, or they just stand up in front of somebody and say, hey, vote for my buddy here. If it's just vote for my buddy, yeah. nobody gives it a doesn't shit. carry. But if they bring the political way, and those are things from behind the scenes of a campaign that you do count on. Those are things that can take you over the top. And name recognition is very important. And you'd be surprised. I'll tell this one story anecdotally, and, and I, I don't mind spilling this, but literally we're in a community meeting, and this is during the Cooper campaign. And there was a conversation going on uh, about the Coopers versus whatever else. And there was a lady in the corner I overheard. She said, I think it's so nice that uh, the congressman is going to leave his job and come down and run for mayor. I'm so excited to vote for him. And nobody said anything. Of course, the campaign staff didn't say anything. I'm like, well, just count it as a vote. So there are some things that go unexplained that are variables that you just can't control. You just can't control those things. You can just hope for the best. And when you're in this part of a campaign, you take whatever you can get however you can get it because now it's a it's a mad rush to the finish line which makes it uh exciting more than it has been over the last several months but it also makes it difficult to discern whether we're truly going to get good leadership because now we're at that point in the campaign where 
people will say anything to get elected. They'll say anything to get a vote. And that's where it, it becomes murky. Well, that gives us cash on hand fundraising in, in July. We had some numbers. Matt Wilcher, 120,000. Freddie O'Connell, 114,000. Jeff Yarbrough, 85,000. Alice Rowley, 54. Heidi Campbell, 38. Sharon Hurt, 23. Vivian Wilhoit, $8,000. And that's right, Jim Gingrich with almost $6,000 raised in July. Uh, a lot of different varying numbers in terms of cash on hand, but Matt Wilcher with almost two hundred grand, one hundred eighty-three thousand left on hand. Jeff Yarbrough with one hundred twelve thousand, seventy-four grand for Freddie O'Connell. It drives me nuts that that is how we're using our resources in this world. That we're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars over five days on God knows what TV ads, digital ads, whatever. But it's it's the system we live in, so it is what it is. What is that? Is there anything to be learned about the fundraising in July and the cash on hand left over with? you know, basically four or five days to go. Uh, left on mention there, uh, Matt Wiltshire gave him his campaign another $450,000. So during that 24-day uh, period earlier this month, he far outspent uh, the closest competitors. Um, he about doubled up uh, O'Connell and Yarbrough, who were, who were coming in behind him. You know, I think that gets their message out. Um, I think it further solidifies the the, the narratives, the, the cursed narratives that we've uh, been discussing about who's <laughs> who's doing well, um, who has a shot, because those fundraising numbers are pretty similar to a lot of the polling numbers we've seen. So, so things are starting to dovetail, I guess. There's a top tier, you're saying? I, I guess so, yeah. Who's in the top tier? Oh. <laughs> I was gonna about the. I was gonna ask about the hives endorsement first. If there's, if there's if endorsements matter, when endorsements matter, a hive is only created because people want to be a part of it. I, Jamie I, Holland. I would say seventy-two percent of the people that have early voted through Tuesday, July twenty-five, are not in the hive. Fifty plus. Fifty plus. About it. 47% over age 65. Guaranteed. Are you suggesting they're not the ones on threads? Not to be okay. in the hive. All right. And so. That's why you can't pay attention to social media all the time, man. It's, it's not real life. It's an echo chamber. It's not real life. Really that's not true. It's a hive. But it's not real life. It's a hive to itself. But when you go to people and you and you say something about Twitter, you're knocking on doors as I have. And you're saying something about Twitter or Facebook, I mean, literally, it's an exciting moment when grandma gets on Facebook. But, you know, the reality is people are like, what is that? Who is that? It's, but it's they're, X, it's they're X, solid voters. It's X, by the way. We've got yes. to call it X now. Oh, oh we do. 18 oh, we to 34. About 10 and a half percent. What's 18 to 24? 18 to 3. 3%, three I think. 2.11. 2. 2. Yeah. 2. And, and that came, you know, that was published on Twitter by a candidate. And I think that was sent out as a signal. Hey. Get off your ass. Get out of the hive. <laughs> but they didn't. They just started clutching pearls within the hive. You I know there's that... multiple hives, right? There's not just one. I just want to let you know. There's yeah, more than in one. that case is not the definite article. So there's, it's, there's, it's not the only. There, there are a few hives out here. Some of them are very positive, actually. Yeah. Um, Steven, uh, narratives. Let's let's. It, are you suggesting that he didn't answer the questions who's in the top tier oh yeah oh, there's there that it's a lawyer uh i think it's pretty clear who's in the top tier. <laughs> go ahead brayden you can answer that question I, for him. I respectfully uh defer to my guest on the show today 
the people uh, raising and spending the most money, the people who are regularly appearing in the top four in polls, which, you know, uh, you want to be careful with polls. Some of them are better than others at this small level. Oh, no, the one that has me top is the best. Yeah. But there are some uh, there are some trends in them, um, and it, it seems like I need to do this in a randomized order because I don't. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, do I don't you you already, your you already voted. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a one through four. That's why situation. we're giving you these questions. But if I can uh, do alphabetical in my head real quick, I think it's Rolly O'Connell, Wiltshire, and Yarborough, who are the ones who are spending the most money, raising the most money. Well, in in Rolly's case, um, she's got this this floor of votes. I think that kind of puts her in that puts her in that category. So those are the four. I mean, th- there are other people in the race who are competitive. It's just, it, I think, based on the data that we have, they seem to be lagging behind somewhat. I, I, I think messaging. I think messaging That's is about as vanilla as a top tier yeah. explanation I've ever seen. Uh, I, I think messaging is another one of the factors, though, if you're talking about just money and just like who's had the most fully formed message for the longest. And it's very clear who that is in terms of Freddie O'Connell. And maybe maybe from a distinct standpoint, he's got his message more distinct and maybe more differentiated than everybody else. And certainly the most thorough and thought through. I, I think that's why there's a hive there. Is he's got the message? I, I will say um, I'm going to respectfully disagree, but after Stephen, go ahead. <laughs> I, I just want to go back to the 2015 race. I, I think that Megan Barry was what fifth or sixth in in money, and she won. So I, mm. I do want to be careful. Oh, on you, that are you amending your top tier? <laughs> I'm not, but uh, <laughs> b- but you have to be careful with paying attention to these numbers that we have. Well, so I, I want to hear your rebuttal, oh, yeah, Jeff, yeah. in just a second. But so I've I've heard a few these these uh, the narratives that you're talking about. What is the lesson we should like? What are we? What are you? Dig, what are you getting at when you say is it? We just have no clue what's going to happen on election day, and we need to learn from every election in the history of this country that we just don't know who people are voting for. Uh, yeah, I try to. <laughs> I try not to to be too confident in uh, my descriptions of what's happening because I've been surprised before and I'll be surprised again. I'll probably be surprised on uh, election day. So, yeah, I guess uh, the lesson from that is if you want someone to win, you should probably go vote for them. There you go. All right. Why is Freddie O'Connell does why why is his message not the the well, most not, sort not of mature or whatever? Yeah, not necessarily to Freddie O'Connell, but just a general conversation around messaging and what is good messaging. Uh, there's a lesser known candidate uh, named Stephanie Johnson, who I think came up with a really good message from the get go. And that was Music City's out of tune. And she was saying it at these forums and I was tuning in. I was watching it and she's had some pretty thoughtful responses. What she's missing is money. So a Heidi Campbell can come along and do and have the money to put uh, Music City's out of tune commercial out. And, of course, everybody who's out there observing these politics is enraged, and it's a bad look. Nothing against Heidi Campbell. I've never met her. But it's a really bad look for a a person of privilege to basically mimic a message that has been given from someone who does not have the resources and then co-opt that message. That's not a good look. Uh, But to the vast majority of people who 
because they did, she did not have the resources to get her message out there, the vast majority of people who are in that particular hive, they say, oh, that's great, great commercial, great messaging all the way through. We see good messaging from people like, uh, I'll say a Vivian Wilhoy. When I talk to politicos, most politicos I talk to say, you know, if we had to talk about somebody who could steer the ship, Probably Vivian's got the best experience. She's run a great department. She's not had any scandals. Uh, if people call her, she picks up the phone. She's got that reputation, and yet she's struggled in the pub outward-facing spaces of communicating that message well. So without the resources to bring in people to do debate prep and coaching and do those kind of things that help you present outwardly better, and without having big media bias, that message can be lost. So there's a sweet spot where there's a balance between having a great message and being able have to have the great resources to get that message out there. And that's that's where politics becomes a challenge. How do you raise the re, have the resources to get your message out there because that's what you want to get. You want to get those touches with people and that's what we're facing in this election right now. That's why you look at numbers and say who has the most cash on hand at this particular part. A uh, point because they're able to say to those undecideds, "Here I am. Send me to the space." Well, hopefully up to this point, people have identified their voters and asked, can't, you know, when I talk to them, it's like, hey, how many IDs do you have? How many identified supporters do you have? And if they say they don't know the answer to that question, but well, you're not serious and you're not going to win. So now they're in the process of getting their people they've identified, getting them to the box, go vote, push, pull, drag. So when you go on election day and you see people sitting around wagging a sign, the winning campaigns are going to have those people with the call list saying, hey, have you go voted today? What is your plan? Do you need a ride? Do you need transportation? We'll send somebody to come get you, but go vote. Because a lot of those people that are still identified for you may, may not go. You know, something happened in their personal life. Something happened with their kid. Uh, it rained. Boss was a dick. Couldn't get off work. Had to whatever and they don't go and some of them are going to vote for a guy that ain't running anymore ah uh, good and, point yeah and his point. votes that are wasted on him are going to be divvied up and keep somebody from getting in the runoff because he's probably going to get around three to four percent so uh, that number would be about three to four thousand votes and if we're talking about number two and three, the gap between two and three, we're talking could be 18,000 to 17,000, right? Because he, he's so not people, spend, so people understand the numbers that we're talking about. He's not going to put a commercial together that says, I'm not running anymore. Good point. Good point. I, I have one quick to your messaging point, and I, I recommend uh, this is not necessarily a national commentary, but there's an excellent book, Why We're Polarized. Ezra Klein wrote it. And one of the things I learned in there because this ties into the hive and it ties into messaging and it ties into money and donors, what having the resources. What's interesting is the more grassroots your donor base is, the more extreme the ideologies tend to go in general. But the, so I was, you know, as someone who's like, no, get money out of politics. I don't like the fact that money's in politics. I'm frustrated by this, this is how we spend our resources. What happens when you have larger dollar people involved is actually you get more moderate candidates with more moderate, moderate ideologies. And I don't know how that's relevant to our particular race, but 
it is relevant to messaging. It's relevant to resources. It's relative to fundraising. And it's relative to the hive, and it's relative to all these other things. So, yeah, no, that's good. And I mean, there's there are different philosophies there. And you think about even presidentially with Barack Obama, what what made him popular was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who were given five and ten dollars because they were buying in to the philosophy. They wanted to get behind him. Uh, when you're dealing with corporate money, you're dealing with PACs, you're dealing with special interest groups, of course, you're going to be more moderate. And, but at the same time, the trade-off, as you said, is you get to be before more people because you have more resources. So where does that fall with the election? That's, that's going to show itself on election day. And, and it is about ground game. I remember there were campaigns where there were people who decided that at mayoral forums, we're going to have people wear our T-shirts and even if the candidate says something extremely stupid, we're going to cheer like it was the greatest thing ever. And the winning candidate was the winning candidates in those scenarios that I've seen are the people who said, you know what? Don't show up with all the T-shirts while the debate's going on. Let's be let's be outside knocking doors. And that's going to really get people stimulated to go. And that that worked. You saw people who got tons of rock of, of, of applause at forums who scored three, three, four, five in the election. So it's really about that ground game and finding your people and getting them to the polls on election day. I want to ask, uh, Stephen, you've had a chance to do a lot of the conversations with a lot of these these folks. And I just want to ask sort of, not necessarily in rapid fire, but just because we haven't talked a lot about any specific issues. And I'd like to touch on those for, for, for a few minutes here. And that is, and I've asked some other people that have come on the show this, but I'd like to know if you are a, transit voter, for example, affordability, even if we want to lump housing and transit together into affordability, who, who, in your opinion, has won that person's vote? I don't think anyone has when you make it that broad of a, a topic. Uh, affordability touches everything. And I think every single candidate talks about affordability, whether it's, you know, housing or wages or, uh, taxes in, in, uh, Alice Rowley's case. Um, Everyone's talking about affordability. So I don't think when you frame it that way that anyone's won that vote. I think there's probably a, a narrative that um, Freddie O'Connell talks the most about transit, but a lot of the other candidates are talking about that too. I think Senator Yarbrough was on the, the transit authority with Freddie O'Connell back in the day. Um, uh, a lot of the candidates talk about that issue too. So I, I, I don't think it's safe to say that anyone uh, has won the, the votes on those topics. Jamie, who's, who's best, who's best. I'm not even going to ask you, I'm just gonna ask you who's the best on housing because <laughs> housing is the only thing you care about. That's it. None of them satisfy me because I'm, you know, turd emoji time. Paint it yellow, slap a turd emoji on it. I'm for it. If it was more than what was there before it's crisis mode. And I, I feel like everybody says, hey, we understand the crisis. I got a solution, Bob. No, it's the fucking zoning code. Burn it to the ground. Nashville next. Man, that's a good kindling fire starter. We should burn them all because that that entire process is baked into NIMBY and it made it grow exponentially. I've heard I've heard uh, you talk to these candidates and you ask them whether they'd be interested in tearing that zoning code up and rewriting it. And pretty much they've all said yes, I think. I think so. So who do you think is the most serious about that? Who would actually do it? Well, and I, I asked Jeff specifically about doing away with all single family zoning, which is something that's bipartisan popular across the country in certain random places. And he said, I don't know if I'm willing to go that far. 
Well, nobody's going to come to historic Edgefield and say, we're going to put an overlay down and, and get rid of single family zoning. That's not happening. It's not on the table. What can happen, because politics, in my worldview, is the art of the possible. I think somebody else said that once upon a time. If they didn't, I'm making it my own now. And perfection is the enemy of the good. I know a few people have said that one, so you don't get to claim that one. Lieutenant Governor John Wilder was was the one that banged it into my head because he used to be my senator where I grew up. He was a former president of the United States. He used it a lot, too. So we got to start talking about what is possible. Well, there's just here down the road, 10th Avenue was at the Planning Commission last night. WKRN reported hundreds of people are against it. One on Davidson Avenue. Oh, oh my God, one of the buildings is going to be 20 stories high. Oh, my Lord. End of world times. Kind of like Maytown back in the day. Can't have another downtown. I bet a lot of people would like to have another downtown right now if they got to revisit it. 10th Avenue, they're going to upzone some properties that's currently duplex R zoned to RM20 just right here. And people are against it. It's like, you have your single family house. Fucking take it. Nobody's trying to get it. But in these other areas, we have to have it. Otherwise, the conversation is not serious. And I, that's a long-winded way to get back to your answer. I don't know. I haven't voted yet. I'm not like Steve. But my vote's going to be based on who I think can do that. Yes. It's just, I just want to say, have you narrowed it down? <laughs> you have also spent hours with these people. I just... I, I, I right. have narrowed it down. Let, let, let me, but where I'm going to come to is like, look, it's 2015 all over again. Alice Rowley is trying to run the David Fox play with more than half the money. A little over half the money David Fox did. It's not possible. I think a vote for Alice Rowley is wasted. That's my my one. I'm going to get to your prediction in in just a second. But I want to go back to, Jeff, your point about steering and driving, and then, Stephen, your point about voter, like having a chance to talk to these folks. Do you guys feel that someone has differentiated themselves in the leadership space? Like, affordability is an issue. It's very broad. Maybe I should narrow it down. I, I can ask you about gun violence or safety or you know education i don't know if there's anybody that you think that has separated themselves on any of those issues i, I think they all kind of again have very similar answers who who in your mind has messaged the leadership part of this the best i, I actually th- there's a couple of them that have messaged the coalition building very well i think heidi campbell and jeff yarborough of course have done that in the senate who who matt matt wilcher touts his economic successes and in previous experience what who has done the leadership messaging the best I think when you talk about that uh, bridge building aspect of it, that you you can poke holes in anyone's argument, and if you spend time on X, as I spend a lot of time on, you'll see those holes uh, poked by supporters of different candidates. I think, you know, the the people who are coming from the legislature are arguing. I'm at the legislature. I know these people. I can talk to them, but they've been at the legislature as uh, you know their opponents and their detractors will point out. They've been at the legislature when the stuff's happened. Then you can point to the council members. Um, they've, uh, they don't have that experience with the state. So, you know, maybe they, they can't build those bridges if they, they've been the ones who've, uh, been kind of at odds with that group. And then 
you know, I think Wiltshire's argument about working with the state has been that he worked with the state economic uh, and community development department back when he was in that role for the city. That was a completely different era of state politics. I don't, it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to say that those are comparable. The types of people he was working with uh, are not the types of people that the mayor will need to work with. Uh, and I was, this is random out of context, but this week is the five year anniversary of Andrew Delkey murdering Daniel Hambrick. And that was a conversation driver change agent. It led to the enough petitions being gathered, put the community oversight on the ballot. That also led, I think, that consequence was it got us a community oversight board. And within a span of time, less than five years, that has all been turned upside its head. And I don't think it's being talked about broadly in the community anymore. Jeff, do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I, I think an issue like that could be something that would distinguish a, a, a candidate. But pe it's a hot-button issue. And what I've found in this crop of candidates is people have steered away from hot-button issues. And they've steered away from the practical solutions. There, there are issues with affordability. We know, in other words, Three election cycles, four election cycles, not one issue has changed. When you ask people, what are the issues? And, oh, education. We want to fund education. Oh, well, affordable housing. Oh, we want to make sure we take care of transit. These are the exact same issues that we have talked about through three, possibly four election cycles, which says what? That we've seen no movement on. That we shouldn't pick our mayor from the council. Well, is I, what I, you're saying. Yeah, and personally speaking. you made that point twice. I think, it's, I think that. There's something there, and and that's not just with me personally with my ethos, but that's something that we're seeing across the board with people that uh, touting whether I voted for a piece of legislation or not is not uh, is not indicative of how you would lead a city. It literally is not because you have an opportunity to score points. We we started out with talking about things that are gimmicky. Let's be honest: when the soccer stadium was up. It was politically smart for uh, John Cooper at the time to vote against it. Why? Because literally, when you're behind the scenes, you know when all of the votes are lined up for it, you can get political points for tapping into the angst. It was a great move by O'Connell to vote against the Titan Stadium, knowing that the votes were going to be there for it to pass anyway. So tapping into that angst is important. There's a lot of angst now. I think there's an article out that talks about um, angst now driving. The, the issue is, though, when you address the angst and you get people to, to come and support you, if you don't address the angst, if you don't fix the issues, then you just create a self-defeating cycle that, again, frustrates more and more people down the line because they say, oh, they tapped into the angst. Looking at four years later, we didn't do anything. So the decision for me has to now come down to who do I think can best navigate or steer us through the next four years uh, and then use that four years of data to determine whether or not they did what they said they were going to do or whether or not it's time to go into a different direction. And I think a lot of people out there are feeling the same thing. People no longer want to hear what people are saying. They want to hear what people can do. If you're talking about an issue like transit, that is important for all of us. And it, it was it's important for me. I thought the Let's Move Nashville was a terrible deal because like Nashville Next and other uh, plans, 
you don't have the availability, you don't have uh, spaces where you can get regular people to contribute. If you're having a charrette at nine o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday, how many people who actually use transit are going to be available at that time? So you have a really small sampling of people who get to determine a plan going forward that ends up punishing people who are going to be the users of something like transit. So something new has to come about. There has to be something visionary that comes about for something like transit for affordability. But in this case of a mayor, you're going to have to have somebody who gets into that office who decides we're going to do something radically different that is actually going to take this issue off the table for the for the next cycle. If there's somebody who can emerge in the next few days who can show me that, you know what, I think they could best do something radically different. That's what's going to earn my vote, and I think that's what's going to earn the vote of people out there. You know, all, all to say, everybody has identified the issues. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. Yeah. The big three, you know, started in 2015. But to Jeff's point, what have we done to move the ball since? I mean, we can't send – a billion dollars to the Barnes Affordable Housing Trust Fund and think we're going to build our way out single family or, you know, give it to nonprofits and build our way out of the problem. It's not going to work that way. It's not gotta, without an adjustment to the zoning code. I think here's a random question that we have not, Jamie, in all of our episodes, we have not brought up. And I just want to see what everybody thinks about it. Cause I found myself as I'm trying to parse the margins here, right. On, on a bunch of candidates that I actually would be okay with being our mayor, trying to actually differentiate the, the, the very small margins does the the administration matter to should the administration matter to the voters who people are going to bring in with them 100 percent into this how how should people be feeling about and i'll start with you Stephen. how should people be feeling about the types of administrations each of these candidates will be bringing into the office uh, no one person can run metro uh it's crucial who is running your off, you know, the different offices within the mayor's office, um, who you're delegating authority to. Those are, those are the people who are going to be carrying out your priorities. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely crucial. And they won't really say, we asked a few of them in our forum who they'd hire. It, you, they're not going to talk about that, but it is incredibly important. So you can watch, I mean, you can look at who these people are surrounding themselves with now, because a lot of times those are the people who end up in the office. Uh, that's what I was going to ask is how can the voters... How do you go about trying to figure that out if it's so important? It, it's, it's tough, I think, for an average voter to, to figure out like, who someone's chief, what someone's chief of staff or, or, or you know, top advisors are like and what they're going to push. But it's incredibly important yeah. to what happens in a mayoral administration. The most important thing for me right now is who are you going to select to be your director of law? To your point, they're not going to tell because they may have political baggage and nobody's looking for baggage right now. You know, we'll take the baggage when there's no consequences to, to you know, if I'm the candidate to my election. But right now, the director of law is running the town. Under no set of circumstances should that be the case. I don't give a shit what the charter says. Director of law, you listen to the mayor or the department heads. There's litigation comes down the pike. You communicate with that with the mayor, the mayor's office, and the department is. Settlement offers come down. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Because right now, the director of law, I don't think he want, the mayor wanted to sue the state relative to the speedway, but he did anyway. 
the problem I have with that, regardless of what side I'm on on that issue, Pro Speedway, yes, there's no accountability. For that's that that's one instance, right? Are you? I feel like you're exaggerating by saying the director of law is running the city right now. I'm not exaggerating. I believe that 100 fucking percent. If you think, if you think about the issues, though, why is it that Metro, and I say this in, in an overly broad sense when I say the black community, I, there's so many different communities just like with, like, the no, white community. No right? community is a monolith. <laughs> no, community, no community is a monolith. When we talk about that, from where many people who I'm around sit, they're like, okay, why is Metro suing about the size of the council? Why are they suing about um, everything else, but they're not suing about the COB? Yeah. I mean, literally, what, yeah. where are these choices being made? Is well, if so- you want to go there, <laughs> one, I would say, well, COB, you got your own lawyer. Right. Or at least there was provision in the in the referendum that gave you your own lawyer. Mm-hmm. Why the hell would you hire somebody from the Department of Law? Bad decision. Go sue on your own. That you, law, don't, you don't need the director of law. But to your point, they would say, if I'm taking their argument, well, that has statewide application. Therefore, the only way we can beat the state is under the home rule. But they're suing over home rule relative to the speedway litigation. Right. And and a lot of other things, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Home rule home rule is there, but why not there? So again, it's 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 that question of priority. And and looping this back to what Braden was saying, what, what Stephen was saying about who's going to be in your administration. Well, who you work with now. Because in the rea- in the real world you bring your folks. So I think what will yeah. so really be fuel on that fire is when they lose that speedway litigation. Yes. How, how's that going to play to the advocates for the community oversight board, et cetera, if they lose that litigation? I mean, this, it's going the to fuel be, on the fire is what I believe. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but bringing it back around to what we were talking about and, and the question that you asked, that was, that was really a good question. I think that short answer is you bring your folks with you. But – you don't reveal your folks publicly. Right. I think right now it's not politically smart, as Stephen was saying. But when I'm looking at a candidate, I'm looking at now. Who has the power in your campaign? Who has had the power in the departments that you work with? What 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 is it that you do outside? Sometimes the question comes up, well, what, what does a person do for a living? That's important. Uh, a person like a Vivian, I'll, I'll just go back to Vivian. I'm not leaning in toward promoting her over much, but again, in these cycles, uh, Vivian did not have any particular relevant experience other than being a good politician before she got into the property system's office. So she hired people who were really, really good at what they do and generally has gotten great reviews uh, for being able to run and navigate that department. What's going to happen with the mayor is we're going to see from your initial 100 days what kind of administration you're going to have. If, if you don't have diversity in your campaign, if you don't have diversity in your business that you front or your departments that you front, if you don't have people who are actually in decision-making positions, then it's going to continue when you step into the mayor's uh-huh. office. And and black people in Nashville have gotten kind of frustrated with, okay, you'll put us in a go deliver the proclamation at the wedding event office, but what about legal? What about public works? What about the the real big department head positions? Are you going to fully diversify that? Because literally, whoever gets in there, there's a lot of talk on the campaign about diversity. But literally, that first 100 days, if it ends up more of the same, 
Yep. Then, well, again, we're, we're going to be looking at people not showing up to vote. I think another part of this conversation that is related is the boards and commissions. We pay a lot of attention to the people that are actually hire. The mayor will actually hire, but uh, they have fewer. The mayor will have fewer appointments now than they did a couple of years ago, thanks to the state. But it's still. Would you like to create an airport authority? We got. We can have. We've got a quorum right now. I think yeah. the four of us could have a board. Right. But it, it's it can get overlooked. Um, there are all these different boards and commissions around the city, and um, the mayor gets to appoint the people who sit on those in a lot of cases, and they, in a lot of cases, have significant authority in how the city functions. So you have to pay attention to that, too. Um, again, it's it's not really easy to say now who's going to pay the most attention to that, who's going to take it the most seriously, but I think it's important. Part I mean, I would say, objectively, this mayor has not done a really good job in filling vacancies to the various boards and commissions, but I also think that's a reflection of people don't want these jobs, especially... Yeah, board is up. Served on a commission. It's t- it's tough, man. It's and it's volunteer work, and people come in there and roast you as if you have full decision making power beyond the budgetary limitations. I was on the arts commission, and my wife currently serves on a board. And literally, that there's a lot that that goes into that. But you still, as a leader, you can't abdicate that. You can't just not appoint. Is it the case that we've seen a couple of times over the last administration? Uh, and and Mayor Sh- uh, Vice Mayor Shulman having to step in and make some appointments too. Uh, those appointments to those boards and commissions also fall into that category of who the candidate knows. And you're going to go with the people that you know first and foremost. So your circle is going to de- determine the the future of the city because your vibe attracts your tribe. So the lack of diversity complaint about boards and commissions, I hear it. But who can volunteer an exceedingly large amount of time to do this well people who are well healed got stable jobs trend older and white so will the council consider or the mayor consider paying some sort of stipend to get people incentivized to do it because it's kind of like it would have to have it would have to have something attached to it though right it's kind of like hoa who wants to be the hoa president 12 council members unopposed. Well, who wants to be the council member? Oh, my God. Thank God you did it. Now, I don't have to do it. And it comes with a lot of complaint and grievance and airing of grievances. Like, what are we going to do to get more diverse boards and commissions? Well, I think we're going to have to pay them. And that and made me a radical idea. Let me let me toss a question out because I'd love to Paying get your somebody thoughts. for work is radical. No, no, no. Well, I, I mean, it has to be the right person, though. If the, po- the, if the point of the money is to get a different type of person into the role, then you almost have to earmark the money for a particular type of person, right? That's what you're saying? Well, I think that, I mean, there's that, a lot that, of might, that might get the attorney general send you a damn get letter. a job description in order to make sure <laughs> that's that they what I'm meet saying. There, there's a lot of, I don't, I don't know any well-heeled people that don't take extra money. You know what I mean? Like, everybody takes the money. So, like, I don't know, I don't know how that guarantees you a more diverse board is what, right, I'm, people, is what I'm asking. People who run for council take the money. What's the stipend for this, by the way? $200. Thanks. <laughs> Y'all, we'll wear, we'll well heal. Let me ask you this though, because this has come up recently. In a, you talk about em- endorsements. We talked. We 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 went through endorsements. What about endorsements of endorsements that are de facto that you have no control over? So, say for instance, mm. do you all think that council people should be endorsing other council people in races or mayoral elections? See, the reason why I ask is see previous you, episode. Okay, when you look at you look at disclosures, even right, 
when you look at disclosures, the person came to me and they said, my council member is endorsing somebody for office. And so I don't feel as if they should have done that because I gave them money to represent me. Then they turned around and supported another I, campaign for a candidate that I didn't. So, and I don't want that by by default uh, to make it look like I'm supporting. That yeah, well. I, personally, and I, I, I don't want to use the current mayor as an example of why politics is complicated and how it's like I, I personally can separate John Cooper's message as a council member on a campaign and then how he governed. Like I can separate yeah. that very easily on a particular issue. It's not hard for me personally to do that. I can say, I want you to be my council member in my district. And I think you're going to do the best job to run my district. I don't like, would I prefer us be exactly perfectly aligned on who you're voting for, for the mayor? Fine. But I can separate the two. Like personally, it's not a problem for me. Uh, like, again, I think that's, I, I, I don't like the criticism of people changing opinions based on what their constituents want post post campaign. Because I think that's the job. The, the job is to like tell me what you believe in, then I'll decide who I'm going to vote for. But then if you're governing, you need to govern based on what the people want you to, to do. You don't understand the purity of our hollowed out politics. Sorry, Braden. <laughs> uh, my, my last comment on the administration is I am I, I would be concerned about diversity. I think it's important. I am I am personally interested in temperament. That is what I am interested in is the temperament of the administration to some degree. I, I think, I, I don't think know how we figure that out before the election, but right. I don't know. Yeah. So again, it's going to be a challenge again. Dr. Martin Luther King said that the true test of a man or a woman is not where they stand in times of comfort and convenience, but in times of challenge and controversy. So all of this sounds good. Uh, and you, you, again, I think the biggest challenge is if someone from council gets elected, because that moment when you get, somebody who throws back up in your face that you used to be in a desk behind me what do you what do you do in that moment what temperament comes out because there's long i always say there's something in that courthouse water that once somebody sits in that chair especially if they've not been in a chair of making decisions that affect people's lives every single day that's what i look for in a mayoral candidate do you have you had experience where if you make a decision somebody's not going to eat because that's what that chair means. And if you've not had that decision and you go from coalition politics to sitting in a chair and somebody bringing you coffee and opening a door and calling you Mr. or Miss Mayor, that thing can blow up a person's mind in a way that is unimaginable. And you can look and say, who is this person in, in, a, in a small window of time? So that's my biggest concern when I'm looking at a candidate. It's not who are you right now, but who will you be when this Perceived or real sense so, of power comes happens. down on you. Dude, I don't know how Stephen you voted, something dude. Happens, <laughs> something <laughs> happens <laughs> when they cross that threshold door becoming mayor. It's like well, the, sure. the new logo of X being revealed. It's just whoop. Like, like and a, something happens. It's like a that's body. Why I, that's I, like don't, I don't know what it is. That's why I don't think it's healthy to hold up uh, politicians like we sometimes do celebrities or athletes that we love. They will always disappoint you. Uh, no matter how much you align with them once they, they get yep. to the And office. they're going to fuck yep. up. Yeah. They're human. Yeah. But that has to be communicated along the way because right now we've grown to a place, and of course it is, we're in a digital space in a virtual world now, and the reality is there's, there's a space of public service that used to be where people accomplish things in the private sector, and they say, you know what, I want to give back. Let me run for office. 
Then there was a path that emerged where politics became a portal for celebrity. Addicted to attention. Two, two, per, two people sat in this room, uh, candidates, and said very, very much like, I'm, I'm going to make a ton of mistakes, and that's part of the job. At least two said that to us directly on the air, on the show. So uh, I'm not going to say who they were, but... You can well, go listen to all the episodes you if you want. Replay that. Put that clip. <laughs> go on listen X to the. Go listen the to the. Ep- go listen to the episodes. Um, I think. I think it's great advice, Stephen. I think your heroes will almost always disappoint you, yes. <laughs> no matter what like, walk of life that, that that they're in. They also say never meet them, and I think I've, yeah. I've met most of them, unfortunately. <laughs> so no heroes then nope. for you. That's good. That's healthy. That's healthy. Uh, I certainly don't want to meet any of my sports and music heroes. That's for sure. Oh, I've, I've met some of mine. Yeah, it's, I, it can be disappointing. It can be fulfilling. But when you recognize that this is just what they do, again, I think se- it's separate. Right? So you got to separate yeah. and you can yeah. separate and you say, oh, it's just music. Yep. Or I love the song, but they were high when they wrote it. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> you're like, but it was a great song, but I'm not going to hire them That's, to watch my I, kids. I, I love the bill, but he was high when he wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's a I would say that's a PED for music, maybe not for governing um, steroids and athletics and whatever. Anyway, we're in a creative town. It's fine. Talk about legislation that needs to be passed. That's another episode. So I guess this is where we I, I will cautiously ask for predictions who, who is when we reconvene at the end of the week post august 3rd uh all your polling locations are listed in the show notes and all of the emails for all the council members listed in the show notes if you care to use them jamie according to Stephen, number one there are four possible candidates wilshire o'connell yarborough Rowley. i've already said if you vote on for rolling, you're wasting your vote. A Republican, no matter how diehard you are, is not going to be the mayor of the city of Nashville. So that leaves three. Wilshire, O'Connell, Yarbrough. Either one of those three won't roll in the runoff with them. The O'Connell campaign was sending that robo-text yesterday showing poll from the laborers pack. They didn't mention other races in there, but it mentioned two candidates in the field, Freddie and Rowley. He really wants Rowley in the runoff with him because he knows that elected mayor, same for the other two. What confuses everyone is if it's Wilshire and O'Connell or Yarbrough and O'Connell, he doesn't want that. And all polls had indicated that Freddie's in the lead. I would say those polls are not holding up based on the data of the people who are voting. 47%, 65 and up, 71%, age 50 and older. I don't know who's going to get in the runoff. I think Freddie is out, lefted Heidi. And I think Matt and Jeff are fighting to get in. I'm going to wait and hear more, Braden, before I pick my other one. That's the biggest cop-out way to do that I've ever heard. Uh, You might might be poised for the next biggest cop-out. All right. right. (laughs) That's why I I warned everybody. The predictions portion of the show might not go the way. It's tough to predict. I I will say that, again, concurring on that that pathway to uh, Roley being in the runoff, I think from a – if I were to talk to my Republican people who – share honestly with me 
uh, as a Democrat, they would say uh, their victory comes in scoring somebody for the runoff. They they kind of know they're not gonna they're not gonna win and, the city. And anecdotally, the Republicans that are in my life are voting for other candidates. Uh, well, not yeah. not Rowley. So well, and there are there are I would guess I venture to say they're going to a Wilshire and Freddie. Okay, and Freddie. Okay, there's an anti-populist, anti-subsidy corporate movement that Freddie's tapped into that I think is across party lines. I mm. think I think Wilshire and Yarborough are. are fighting for the same voter in my opinion if i had to guess mm. steven who do you think is gonna that's make the good <laughs> yeah so yeah that, that's good I, I would just say that again if the yarborough if the o'connell if the wilshire campaign if they can turn their people out if if they can turn their fans out on election day if they can somehow drive this to knock the Repu the republican out of the race that's when it gets interesting uh if it becomes wilshire and o'connell the debates are going to be almost oh, they're going to be awesome. That's when you're going to really get to the. It's going to be impossible to, to differentiate. <laughs> if it ends up Wilshire O'Connell, if it ends up yeah, uh, Wilshire uh, Yarbrough O'Connell, the dangerous one I think would be probably Wilshire Yarbrough. That would be the toughest decision that people would make. But I think that there would be enough distinguishing between a Wilcher and O'Connell or yep. Yarborough and O'Connell yep. to really be able to say who can bring in those voters who are going to show up who are Republicans, and that would take them over the top. Uh, in a lot of elections, there's two main outcomes. So in my line of work, you can kind of write two versions of the story. You can say this person's going to win, this person's going to win. You already have those in the can, right? Fill in the relevant details once we know that person won. So he's got, he's the, got eight of them in the can. <laughs> so you can get the, it, No, what I'm saying is, national in this case, you, you, it, you can't really do that. I don't think I'm going to do that because there's yeah. so many different combinations that are possible. And I don't want to waste the effort on uh, gaming them all out in writing uh, just to throw away eight of the nine or whatever. 80% 80, 80 of the work. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be a, a frantic uh, Thursday night, I think, or maybe even Friday morning. Oh, I mean, wow. I, I don't remember a time in Metro General Elections where somebody spent $2 million and got off the ballot in July when the election was in August. So he, he's got spoiler, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. You know, I don't know whose campaign. Who, who's he taking the votes for? I, I don't know whose campaign he's going to wreck, but it's either Yarbrough or Wilshire. But mm. I, I don't think Freddie's numbers are holding. They're not proving up based on the data through Tuesday. And so I think his campaign is freaking out a little bit. I think if you had seen an uptick in that youth vote, yeah. that would have that would have signaled well toward uh toward Freddie. Well we didn't see that. Man, you guys all really took a stand. Well, Braden. <laughs> You lead us. So here's. Yeah, I'm going to see if you're going right. to break from the. Because if not, if you, if you fall in line, this is going to be the cop out clip. Uh, I, I told you guys at the start of the show, I don't make predictions. That's why you three are here. All right. Um, so here's, here's what I would say for, just before you, you, you jump in. I, I want Nashville. This is, my, this is what I personally want. And this is not an endorsement of a candidate or an indicator of who I'm voting for. I personally want Nashville to choose between the best two candidates for themselves. If that's naive. Fine. I'm fine being called that. That does not include, in my opinion, Alice Rowley. So if it's Yarborough and Wiltshire, fine. Let's decide. 
If it's O'Connell and Wiltshire, fine. Let's decide. If it's O'Connell and Yarbrough, fine. Let's decide. Throw Heidi Campbell in there. Fine. Let's decide. But it, it, I want Nashville to decide between the two people that will best represent the city, and I want the voters to decide. That's it. That's right. So you, you're pulling, uh, I believe the Tennessean in 2016 endorsed uh, democracy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember that. You talk about the epic oh, cop-out. I, th- I believe that's what Braden just did. But... That is not how I am voting, because I could vote in a strategic way to try to ensure that if I think it's going to break one way or the other, and that is not. I am going to vote for who I think is going to be the best candidate for my, for what I believe and what I want for the city, knowing full well that might be like a no labels vote. <laughs> what What do you do with the crossroads and the intersection of who do you think would be best personally for the city, and who do you think would be most effective at getting things done? I think they're different people. I think they're different people. I think in the final week. Which is why I want Nashville to decide that, honestly. That's that's kind of what my answer is. In Sorry, the final Tim. week. I'm sure we've gone on way too long, Brayden. But in the final week. Only an hour and 40 minutes. In. I think <laughs> you're going to start seeing some contrast being drawn. Some of these candidates. And that's necessary. I can't believe it's waited this long. But here we are. Culmination of certain candidates been running for a year. And they're seeing they're seeing in their own polling, and then their own data what's happening. And I think everybody's kind of freaking out. And are we going to give up drawing a contrast on someone and risking it all? And I think no. I think some of these other candidates or camps, i.e., the Bellmead Country Club coming up with the pack, that kind of deal. I suspect they're going to be also drawing contrast on these other candidates. I don't mean to give free messaging advice, but along that lines, I think there is a very clear antagonistic message against one particular candidate that could be run this week should a few other candidates want to do it. One candidate came on this show and said, we cannot, you cannot be spending a year poking the state. I think the quote was poking the state in the eye and then get into office and try to work together. Later in that conversation, mes- that's a message, by the way. That's just a message strategy. Later, it's not necessarily true. I, I, later in that I conversation, that. that that candidate also said that the state is trying to take our democracy away. So yeah, I, yeah. I think <laughs> there are eyes being poked uh, from from most. I agree. And again, it's not to your point, Jeff, earlier about someone saying Music City's out of tune, and then someone with resources taking it. It doesn't matter if the message is necessarily even accurate. I'm saying there's a lane. Yes. To, to message that particular strategy. If someone wants to take, you can hire me. It's fine uh, if you want. That, to me, that's the differentiation if I'm trying to differentiate between the, the three that we're talking about. We're so, I, I, we're so deep in it now that you can say whatever you want. Yeah, no I guess that's, hear it. that's true. We're, we're way deep into this. Uh, Jeff and Stephen, thank you so much. It's been a privilege. Thank you. For guys. coming in. Jeff yeah. Carr, Stephen Elliott. Uh, Stephen, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody an hour and 40 minutes into the show where they can find your election coverage. Go to NashvillePost.com or NashvilleScene.com and you'll find all of it. And are you still on the uh, Twitter DMX thing? I am, but okay. my name is hard to spell. and it's uh, I'm at Elliot Stephen B. Just okay. type in, okay. you know, you'll find me. There you go. Uh, great stuff over there at the Post and the Scene. Jeff Carr, thank you so much. Great to be here for coming in. Uh, you can follow Jamie on nothing at JR Holland. Nothing. <laughs> follow me on nothing. Follow you on nothing. <laughs> you can check in on me with at the Rev Jock J O C for Jeff Obafemi Car. Or if you're bored, you can go to the Car Window with two R's dot com. There you go. Uh, my name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys for listening. Go vote, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>